0: Mark 12, verses 1 through 12. Please stand for the reading of God's word.
1: Mark 12, and he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son.
0: And they were seeking to arrest him, but they feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Thank you guys. Now remain standing. Now that you're halfway down. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your incredible and amazing love for your people, for us, Lord. Thank you for sending your son to die for our sins so that we could be a part of your family, Lord. Father, I pray that as we look at this parable this morning, that you would enable us to see you, your love, your patience, your kindness, But Lord, your holiness and the severity of your judgment on those who reject you. But Lord, your redeeming love and your sovereign plan for salvation. Father, help me to present you and our Lord Jesus accurately through your word in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated for real this time. Well, it's, a, it's an honor to be here. I was gonna ask Joe, where's Joe? Joe, I was gonna ask you how Ricky's doing. He was here during the first service, but there was a line of people waiting to talk to him and I never got to talk to him. So could you give us just a quick update as to how he's feeling? Yeah, he's feeling better. Day by day, I think he's getting the physical therapy now that he needs. Good. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, it was it was a real joy to see him today with a big smile on his face and uh, he was actually wearing shorts. He was relaxed and that's been our prayer for him that he'd be able to relax for two or three weeks and let his back recover. Um, and I'm so thankful that he was able to be here with us in the first service. So this morning we find ourselves in... Mark chapter 12, we have been in the gospel of Mark following the life of the Lord. And in the last few months, Jesus has been making his way to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter nine, it says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem now, he's been here for over a week or so. He came to Jerusalem to the shouts, to the worship of his followers as he came in and they declared Hosanna to the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They were worshiping him. They were exalting in who he is, who he was in their eyes, the reigning Messiah coming to conquer. But Jesus wasn't going to be the Messiah that they thought he was going to be. He wasn't coming to take over Rome and to establish his kingdom at that point on the earth. He was coming to be the suffering Messiah from Isaiah 53, the grief bearer, the one who would become the lamb of God slaughtered for the sins of the world. So we see this transition taking place. As Jesus was coming in, his ministry had been healing and encouragement, and deliverance, but now in Jerusalem, the end destination of his life, the end destination of his divine mission, things were changing. And if we could put ourselves in the shoes of his disciples, I'm sure they were wondering, what's gonna happen next? From worship and adulation to Jesus, going into the temple and cleansing it of the money changers, of Jesus walking by a fig tree, just an innocent fig tree and cursing it because it wasn't bearing fruit. The disciples walking by the next day, finding the fig tree withered to its roots, the Bible says. The Jewish leaders were confronting, they had been confronting Jesus and now they were becoming more intense in their confrontation. Last week, as Vince brought the word to us, they were confronting Jesus and challenging him openly about by whose authority do you speak? And I'm sure his disciples were saying, yeah, tell him, tell them whose authority. Jesus didn't answer. He answered them with a question about John the Baptist. How, how are you receiving John the Baptist? Was he of God or not? They couldn't answer. He was, they were trying to trap him. He turned the tables on them with a question they couldn't answer without getting themselves in trouble, either with him or the people. And now in John 12, Jesus starts addressing these same religious leaders. Many of Jesus's parables were cloaked in mystery. They were something like teaching riddles. And many times his own disciples, after he taught, would pull him aside and say, Lord, what did you mean by that? And he would explain the parable to them. This parable, however, and the teachings of Jesus from this point on in Jerusalem that we'll be reading about in the book of Mark are crystal clear. It's like Jesus is pulling the veil away and he's starting to more clearly reveal who he is and who they are, these Jewish religious leaders who had been putting burdens on the people burdens that God wasn't asking them to put on. So as Jesus starts this parable, this parable isn't spoken in a mystery. As we'll see just in the very first verse of this parable, the Lord starts addressing them openly and clearly. Let's take a look. Mark 12, the first verse. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit in the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. So that that may not say a lot to us today, but it said volumes to these Jewish religious leaders because that is almost an exact quote Out of Isaiah chapter 5, let me read Isaiah chapter 5. This was a very familiar passage to them. Remember, all they had was the Old Testament. And Isaiah was one of the chief prophets that God had sent in the Old Testament to his people. Isaiah chapter 5, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So as Jesus is starting this parable, the religious leaders' ears are alive. They realize that Jesus is talking about the Lord's vineyard. Who is the Lord's vineyard? What is the Lord's vineyard? Going back to the same chapter of Isaiah five and verse seven, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he, the Lord looked for justice, but behold, he found bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but behold an outcry. So these religious leaders know that Jesus is going to be talking about their nation, their religious nation, the vineyard of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram out from his father's house and says, I'm going to build from you a nation. I'm going to bless you and build from you a nation that will bless every family in the world. God begins his work of planting his people in the earth, his vineyard, the work of his hands, the redemptive work of God in the earth, his vineyard. So when Jesus is talking about his vineyard here in this parable, the Jewish leaders know exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the nation of Israel. And there's probably a sense of pride rising in their hearts because they were the shepherds, the leaders of God's vineyard the one who God had given stewardship to over his house, over his land, over his people. So if we continue to read in Matthew 12. I'll start at the beginning again. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. So the tenants are the ones who are the caretakers, the Jewish leaders. When the season came, season of harvest, he, the owner, sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit from the vineyard. So the owner of the vineyard, who is clearly God the Father, it's his planting in the earth. The Jewish people, the Jewish leaders understood this. He sent to them a servant in this story to get some of the harvest, verse three. And they took these tenants, these wicked tenants took him, the servant, and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he, the owner, sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully, treated him worse than the first servant. And he, the owner, sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. So the story that Jesus is telling is not turning out well for the Jewish leaders. They understand that they are the tenants. They understand that in this story that Jesus is unfolding, their role isn't turning out well. What is Jesus talking about? Well, these servants, that the owner is sending is the picture of God sending his prophets to his people in the Old Testament. Time after time, after time again, the patience of the Lord, the goodness and kindness of the Lord towards his people. When his people would rebel, he would send a prophet. They would repent and follow the Lord for a season, but then they would turn away from the Lord. He would send another prophet. Sometimes they would repent, sometimes they wouldn't. But many times, just as in this story, they would kill the prophets. Let's take a look at a few scriptures that speak to this. In Hebrews one, 1 the writer of Hebrews says this. Long ago, At many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Ten chapters later, Hebrews 11, talking about men of faith from the Old Testament, of which the prophets were numbered in that number. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. In Matthew 23, that takes place a few days after this parable in Mark, Jesus starts to pronounce woes upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I would encourage you to read that passage in Matthew 23 sometime this week and see what the Lord is doing. The Lord as a holy God is starting to judge the spiritual leaders of Israel. And he's pronouncing woes on them. And one of the things that he says towards the end of that passage in Matthew 23 is this. Therefore, I sent you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel To the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. He's referring back to the treatment of his prophets in the Old Testament. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. And then in verse 37 of Matthew 23, Jesus starts to lament and mourn over Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered you, your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. So that is the picture of what Jesus is talking about in this parable. The owner sent servant after servant, prophet after prophet, messenger after messenger to his people. The kindness of God, withholding judgment, withholding punishment, patiently waiting, hoping, praying for his people to repent. And in the parable, they killed or beat every single one. And so back to the parable. Verse five again. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. But the owner in verse six, he still had one other. A beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out Of the vineyard. So picture the setting. Here is Jesus telling this story Jesus, our Lord. Jesus who when he was baptized by John the Baptist, a voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus, who was on the mountain of transfiguration and a voice from the cloud from heaven said, this is my beloved son, hear him. This is Jesus narrating this parable, telling the Jewish leaders that the owner will send his beloved son. And in the story, they kill him and throw him out of the vineyard. Jesus is telling them, you're going to kill me in just a matter of days. You, the leaders of My vineyard are going to kill me and throw me out of my vineyard. You are going to kill the beloved son. In talking to Nicodemus in the third chapter of John, Jesus says to Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The love of God for his people is an amazing thing. And Jesus is openly confronting these religious leaders. He's openly telling them that you're going to kill me and throw me out of my vineyard. In Luke, the same story, Luke tells it a little bit differently. He says this. Of the owner he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the religious leaders heard this, they said, surely not, but Jesus looked directly at them. Can you imagine that moment when Jesus is looking directly at these religious leaders? They said, surely not, surely not that the owner will give the vineyard to others, Surely not, God's not going to turn his back on his people and give it to others. We are the chosen people. We are the leaders of the chosen people. Surely not. Jesus looks directly at them in Luke 17 and says this, what then is this that is written? And here he quotes out of Psalms 118. The stone, and this is also in Mark, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Luke adds, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. These Jewish leaders, their hearts were so hardened. The tragedy of this story is that The son of God was in their midst and their hearts were so hard that they didn't receive his teaching. In three days, they would kill the beloved son of the father. But this last passage here in Mark and also in Luke where Jesus quotes this passage out of Psalm 118 that the stone that the builders rejected would become the cornerstone. This is our great hope. This is the sovereign redemption of God in the midst of this prophetic and very terrifying parable. Jesus, in one short verse, encapsulates his redemptive purpose on earth. The stone that the builders rejected would become the cornerstone. So let's consider that for a minute. How can that be? How can the fact that they will kill the son and throw him out of the vineyard, how can that event be something positive? Paul in 1 Corinthians one says this, the cross is foolishness and a stumbling block to those who do not believe. But for us who do believe, It is the power of God unto salvation. In the next chapter, Paul says, if the rulers of this age had known who Jesus was, clearly known who Jesus was, they wouldn't have crucified him. So what the Jewish leaders thought, what their goal was, was to get rid of this rabbi who's causing so much problem in their religious community. If we could just get rid of him, then we can get back to normal. Their thinking led Jesus to the cross to become the savior of the world. The stone that they rejected, the stone that they considered worthless, something to get rid of, the father transformed in what Pastor Daniel Aiken calls a glorious reversal. The stone that the builders rejected, not good enough for our building, the Father takes and makes it the cornerstone of his redemptive, saving work in the world, Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's nobody like Jesus. There's nobody like our Lord. No one. And our prayer today is that we will have ears to hear what our Father, what our Savior is saying to us today. Because really, we're no different than these Jewish leaders. We're still susceptible to not hearing what God is saying to us. We need to be humble in our hearts and hear the word of the Lord to us because we actually have more responsibility than these Jewish leaders. They had the Old Testament and the prophets. We have the whole word of God, the Old Testament, the Old Testament prophets, the New Testament, the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit that he sent to indwell us, to teach us, to guide us, to convict us. We have greater responsibility to follow the Lord even than these men did. And so Jesus's words are just as applicable to us today. This is not just a history lesson in Jewish history. This is us understanding that God is still at work in the world today, saving and redeeming men and women. And he's using us as an extension of his ministry I was talking to Marion Lumpkin in the first or in between services. She lost her brother this week who went home and, to be with the Lord and she was riding in the car. Can I tell this story, Marion? She was riding in a car with a friend of hers and her, her surviving brother was calling to tell Marion of her other brother who had passed away. And so Marion, just she, she wanted to pray for her surviving brother, but she had this friend in the car who was struggling in her walk with God, trying to figure out who God is to her. And so Marion just thought, well, I'm just gonna pray in front of my friend. I'm just gonna pray for my brother in front of my friend. And so as she was praying for her brother, unashamedly in front of her friend, the Lord started moving in her friend's heart, hearing Marion's heart for her brother and her heart for God. That's the position we have as we're with our friends, our families, our coworkers, is to bring the message, this redemptive message of Jesus, our Savior, to those around us. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 2 to you. In verse 11, let me go back to the parable. In verse 11... We start back in verse 10. Jesus says, have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This, and this is Jesus talking, this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus tells this terrible parable about the Lord's servants being killed one after another, after another, after another. And then the beloved son who will certainly be received, he is killed as well and thrown out of the vineyard. And then Jesus makes this strange reference to Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It doesn't seem like that fits with the rest of this story. But look what 1 Peter says. Peter writes in the second chapter, to Christians, to us, and you, as you come to him, as we come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen, A cornerstone is a hymn, it's our Lord. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. 1 Peter chapter two. How can we apply this to our lives today? Let me ask you to consider just two things, two areas. As I said, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to hear God's voice today. Listen to this quote by Sinclair Ferguson. God continues to send his servants to us today to remind us of our debt to him in a multitude of ways. He reminds us that he looks for the fruit of grace in our lives. Do we hear God's messengers to us today? Who are God's messengers? Well, they may be our pastors, our preachers, our teachers of the word. They may be those, our friends, our family. They may be those around us who remind us personally that we are to live for Christ. As we exhort one another, we become messengers of the Lord to one another. Those around us who personally exhort us to live for Christ. They may be the joys and sorrows of life. God speaks to us through the circumstances of our life. Those circumstances which encourage us to seek our only ultimate joy and strength in God and his grace. The question is, how do we respond to these messengers? How do we respond to the word when it comes? How do we respond from encouragement and exhortation from one another? How do we respond to the sorrows, the challenges, the joys of life. Are we listening? Are we looking for the Lord's voice to us in those things? So that's the first application, to receive God's message through his messengers in whatever way that it comes. Second challenge to us is our call, our charge, our commission that Jesus gives us to go and preach him to the nations to go and preach him to the nations, to our neighbors, to our friends. As I was just going over this message, I I just thought sometimes we're a little hesitant to challenge our unsaved family and friends, to challenge them with the seriousness of their decision. Listen to what Spurgeon says. This is an amazing quote, Charles Spurgeon. Remember once more, if you do not hear the well-beloved Son of God, you have refused your last hope. Jesus is God's ultimatum. Nothing remains when Christ is refused. No one else can be sent. Heaven itself contains no further messenger. If Christ is rejected, hope is rejected. John 1, 11 and 12. He, Jesus, came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, to them who believed on his name, He gave the right to become children of God. So as we're taking this message, let's not be hesitant to warn people of the seriousness of their decision. There may not be a tomorrow for that person. Marion's friend said, well, I think if there is a heaven, when I get there, then I'll make a decision. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe there's a decision you need to make today. Maybe you haven't received the Lord into your heart. Or maybe the Lord has been speaking some things to you that you haven't been listening to. Today is the day to make that decision. Today is the day to open your heart to what the Lord is saying to you about the important issues of your life. Because our savior, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He is the cornerstone, he is the main stone that the house of salvation, God's household is built on. Those who reject the Lord, reject the father who sent him. But those who receive the Lord are welcomed into the father's household which Jesus is the main cornerstone of. Let's stand up and pray together. Father, I pray that Lord, as we have looked at this incredible 12 verse parable, where Jesus summarizes really all of redemptive history, in just a few short verses where Jesus reveals your heart, Father, for your vineyard, for your people. Lord, how you long for us to walk in holiness and righteousness after you. How patient and how kind you are, Lord, and yet your word says that you are kind but also severe in your judgment to those who reject you. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to live a perfect life, the perfect life that we could never live. And Lord, as we receive him into our lives, as we hear his words and receive him, and we repent of our sin, Lord, you welcome us into your household. We become part of your family so that we can call you Father. Lord, I pray for all of us today in whatever situation we find ourselves in with you. Lord, those here that don't know you, those who haven't fully come to you, those who are considering, Lord, I pray for them that they would receive you today, that they would hear the message of the beloved son who loves them, who died for them, Lord, who you raised from the dead, Father. Your word says that Jesus is alive today at your right hand, interceding for us. And Father, for those of us who have received you, Father, help us all the more to love you, to demonstrate our love to you through our obedience as we follow you every day of our lives. Lord, use us to take your message to this world. In Jesus' name.